well with your soul regardless of the circumstances that maybe you're facing today or this week or this month or perhaps even this year that God is faithful. Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, New Testament book. Somebody's breaking a pew over there. Oh, good, it's Bobby Joe, too. It's awesome. I've entitled the sermon, God is up to something. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says this, and I'm reading out of the New International Version. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The text deals with the purpose of God's handiwork, and I will get to that, but not this Sunday. But I want to remind you from the first half of this that you are God's handiwork. Now, you know I have to do this because it's just, it's me. Look at the person beside you and tell them that they are God's handiwork. Go ahead. For some of you, you can't even bring yourself to do that. Because you know who's sitting beside you and you're thinking, oh, I'm sure God could do better. <laughs> oh, you're not thinking that? There are other versions that word it this way, that you are God's poem or God's poetry. In other words, that gives you the impression of it's something that God is kind of putting together uh, in, in, in pieces and parts and in a sense that when he puts all of the lines, all of the verses, all of the courses, everything together, it comes out in something very harmonic, right? Something very beautiful. There's cadence and all of that to it. God is creating something wonderful and beautiful. You are God's handiwork. This also implies that we're a work in process. That we're not everything that we're, we're going to be. We're, we're good right now because we are created in the image of Christ and we've been justified by faith. We understand all of that, but we're in process. And so, you know, that little chorus, that little song, God's not finished with me, God's still working on me, that, that's all very true. God is up to something. Of course, it's nothing nefarious, but God is always at work in us. He may have rested from the initial creation, but he's not done working. And although I wouldn't claim to have the inside scoop on all the dealings of God, I do know this, that all of us are God's workmanship, and he's constantly refining and reshaping us if we let him. You and I are God's handiwork, and I hear, I hear, this is what I hear. This is the talk on the street that he's really good at making some really cool things. But again, your spiritual formation, your shaping not only depends on God, but it depends on you as well. Your response to what God is doing. You must work with him to become what God has chosen for you to become, and the Bible refers to it, it calls it being conformed to the image of Christ or becoming Christ-like, and that's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. 
So this morning, I want to tie one potential significant event, the aforementioned building program, talking about bricks and mortar, and a second on-the-go event, our forward work, improving people and ministry in our church with our own spiritual growth. So, you know that there's going to be a building program proposal, speaking to an addition on the church and then a, a renovation, basically, top to bottom, front to side. You know that the forward committee has presented its results a couple of years ago now, at least, and the staff and the board have been working diligently on, on doing the work as it relates to improving ministry at our church and in the community. But we wouldn't want to just talk about programs and bricks and mortar without tying that in to our own spiritual growth. Those things are important, but they shouldn't be left on their own, or at least they shouldn't be left together. They, they have to infiltrate, all of that has to infiltrate our, our own lives, because at the end of the day, the church isn't bricks and mortar, and the church isn't programming. The church is all about the people. And so it's the people that we're supposed to be concerned about. So let's talk about what God is up to. Now, I've read one text from you from Ephesians 2, but that's not the text text. Here's our text today. Go down to verse 19, chapter 2 of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 19. The Apostle Paul, again, is the writer. Consequently... You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And here's the emphasis today, verse 22. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're in a dwelling. It's called the church. It's a church building and it functions as the, the main place and the means of our operations as, as a discipleship group, as a spiritual entity. And the building is important and we think that we need to do all kinds of things to it in the next little while. But what is even more important than the physical structure is the spiritual structure. And the Apostle Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 2. He talks about the importance of understanding that each and every one of us is a dwelling place of God. Think about that for a minute. A dwelling place of God or a dwelling place for God. We, we don't understand all of the implications of that or how all of that is, happens. But we know this, that the Bible clearly tells us not only here but in other passages of scriptures, and I'll talk about those in a moment, that we are temples of the living God, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that God by his spirit dwells in each and every one of us who are Christ followers. He doesn't dwell in everybody, but he dwells in those of us who are Christ followers, who've been born again by the spirit of God. And so God is living in us. The implications or the ramifications of that in the Bible tell us this, that because God is living in us, we ought to take care of ourselves because we house God. Now, again, 
That, that's hard to get our minds around, that by His Spirit He is living within us, but the Bible clearly teaches that. And so verse 22, and in Him, you too, meaning each and every one of us in this room that are Christ followers, are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. In less than four weeks, the building committee and the board is going to make a presentation to you regarding their work. What was their mandate? To examine the current location and condition of the facility and to make recommendations. Should we stay on this site? Should we move? Should we update the building? Should we add to the building? How can we make sure that the church facility is proper for ministry not only now, but even into the future? And so on August the 27th and on September the 7th, you're going to find out what they're recommending to you. And as important as this is for the church family, and, and in my opinion at least, and it is, I would like to add something to the conversation. What is God saying to you about your facility, your building, your house? If we are indeed a dwelling place by which God lives, and again, we are, what are we doing to care for ourselves, spiritually speaking? What is God up to in us? You've decided to follow Christ. He's your Savior and He's your Lord. You're going to church, you're reading the Bible, and you're praying. You're doing your best to live like a Christ follower at work and at home and at play. But we ask ourselves from time to time, what's God's plan and purpose for our lives? And in verse 22 of Ephesians 2, it gives us a little bit of it. Now, again, I'm, I'm going to be building on this through the weeks to come. But it tells us, first of all, that we're a dwelling place for God. God lives within us. And so if God lives within us, if we're the house by which God dwells in, the Bible reminds us that as his temple, as his naos, as his living place, that then we ought to take good care of ourselves, spiritually speaking, so that we are healthy dwelling places for God as individuals and healthy dwelling places for God as it relates to the body of Christ as a whole. Look what 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 6 says. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, this is speaking about Jesus, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now again, the, the end of this deals with the, the what are we supposed to do. And again, as I said earlier, I will get to that. But I just want to focus this morning on, on this verse again, that we are being built into a spiritual house. Are being built. Again, that we're in process. The latter part of the, this paragraph tells us about what's supposed to happen in that spiritual house. But understanding, first of all, that you are the dwelling place of God and that you recognize that as a holy thing and then you do your best to make sure that you're the best dwelling place for God that you can possibly be. Let me dig into this a little bit more. Let me take you to another book, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. 
Paul writes, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. There's solid advice. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Here it is, verse 16. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And in him, you too are being built together. Notice, there's an individual aspect to this, and then there's a collective, or a, 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 yeah, collective is probably the best word. I think I use the word corporate, but to be honest, I think collective is, is a better idea. You, as an individual, are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you and I have a responsibility to take care of ourselves spiritually because God dwells within us. But to be quite frank, the emphasis in Ephesians 2 and even in 1 Corinthians 3 isn't on the individual, it's actually on the collective, that we are being built together to be a temple of God. Because the church isn't a me thing, the church is an us thing. The body of Christ isn't a me thing, the body of Christ is an us thing. Now, that being said, and seeing some of you actually nod your heads in agreement with you, mind you, it was a minority, why is there such an emphasis then on the me part of our relationship and our walk with God? You always hear this about my walk with God or my relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's all about this, this personal thing that we have with Jesus. And look, I understand that all of us are to have a walk with God. But you're not to do this in a corner. You're not to do this on your own. But we're to do it collectively. We are being built together. Not singularly. Not off on our own, not doing our own thing with our own set of beliefs and our own practices and our own this and our own that. We're to do this both times in these verses. It says being built together. So yes, you and I need our walk with God. We know what it is. We need to know what it is to commune with God on our own. But it's not like it's just all about me. We also have to understand that it's important for us to integrate into the body of Christ. It's important for us to realize that I can't be the Christ follower that I need to be without being in the group, without being in the family, without being connected to the part of the body. I can't go out on my own as a Lone Ranger and be all that I should be in Christ on my own. And sometimes people do that, right, because they think that the rest of us are going to contaminate them. Let's be blunt. I'm so good at that. There's, there's a movement now that, well, I have to kind of do this on my own or with very few people because we're going to be contaminated by others because they don't believe the right things, they don't worship the right way, they don't use the right version of the Bible, they don't this, they don't that. And so in order for me to have my perfect walk with God, I need to separate myself from the rest. 
And I would just like to throw this out just as a generalization. Where do you find that in the Bible? I just challenge you. Where do you find that in the Bible? There's a very individualistic spirit these days about, well, I can't do it with other people because the other people aren't doing it right. There's always risk, and you've heard me say this a thousand times. There's always risk when you connect with others. Not everybody believes exactly the way you believe. Not everybody practices exactly the way you practice, right? There's, that's just true. We understand that. But what we try to do is we try to major on the things that matter the most and focus on those things and not on the perhaps what I would call sometimes small things, but I know other people sometimes call big things, and look for ways to, to kind of put wedges in between us or, or come up with all kinds of reasons why we can't connect or fellowship together rather than are there some commonalities that we can agree on and, and worship the Lord collectively. It's interesting these days. But the emphasis here in Ephesians chapter 2 is, is on the group. And he says, look, at one time, and he's speaking to the Gentiles, at one time, you were foreigners and aliens. Foreigners and aliens. In other words, uh, the people of God were, were the Jews. It was the nation of Israel. It was the Abrahamic covenant. It was the Davidic covenant. It was the law of Moses. All a circumcision. All of that brought Israel into being the people of God. But when Jesus is sacrificed, the veil is torn in two, and the cross brings all people together, regardless of your language or your culture or where you live on the planet. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And so in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul is addressing the Gentiles that by faith, they too have been brought in to the household of faith. That it used to be a Jewish thing. And now the Jewish folk that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ have to make room for their Gentile brothers and sisters. And these two very different cultures, filled with all kinds of different languages, need to learn to work it out. Because they're being built together to become the church of Jesus Christ. There wasn't a Jewish background church and a Gentile background church there is one church spiritually. Now we know there's all kinds of individual churches, but when it comes to the body of Christ, there is one church. Can I hear an amen? amen. Those that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ have confessed their sins and are born again by the Spirit of God. There is one church. And so he says, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you speak Aramaic or Hebrew or Greek or whatever crazy other language they spoke in Northern Europe or in, in the Middle East, it doesn't matter. This is, we're one in Jesus Christ. And this oneness reminds us that we're to be built together. Now, again, there's physical, different separate physical entities of the body of Christ scattered throughout the world. There needs to be, but spiritually, there's one. And so he is reminding them of this corporate or this collective aspect and then the individual aspect. And so I want to remind you about that today. Again, take care of yourself spiritually. Walk your walk of faith. But, 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 but don't do it in a corner and, and, and don't do it in a closet and, and don't do it on your own. And recognize the importance of the body of Christ that when you're connecting with other people and fellowshipping with other people and studying with other people and worshiping with other people, you become stronger and we become stronger. We need one another. 
We need one another for support and for prayer and for understanding. And here's a crazy thought. Sometimes some of us are even wrong about things and we need someone to come into our lives and say, look, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Or I don't think that's what the Bible says about how we should live or how we should think. And by doing this collectively, what you're saying, even if you don't shove it out loud, is I'm accountable to others in the body as well. And so, yes, take care of yourself spiritually. I, I'm, I'm assuming the fact that you showed up today, that what you're saying is, is I recognize the importance of the collective already, that we need to do this together, that we learn and grow together. Again, as I shared months ago, that the iron sharpens the iron. But what are we building all of this on? I talked about that, like, you know, that we have some commonalities. Look what it tells us here. There's three components to every house, as the Apostle Paul teaches us. First of all, he talks about the foundation. Jeff, don't comment on this. You're a professional, so just let me go, okay? Send me an email later. So first of all, there's the foundation. The Apostle Paul talks about having a great foundation. Now, collectively, the foundation, of course, it, it, and he talks about it being established on the apostles and the prophets, the teaching of them, is the focus on Jesus Christ. There's this biblical foundation. Those of you that are following the web and, and all of the stuff that's going on know that we have a teacher, that, and we've taught some of his stuff here, that is telling us these days to unhitch from the Old Testament. I would suggest to you very strongly that you do not do that. Jesus wasn't doing away with the Old Testament. He says that in him it's... Thank you. But we have this biblical foundation centered on Jesus Christ. Now I realize my time is going quickly so I, I, I won't camp here too long. And then there's a cornerstone. The idea of the cornerstone in the building, the hinge stone, the thing which everything connects to as the building's going up, and it tells us there that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, right? Everything is centered around Jesus Christ. Look, folks, you can get caught up in all kinds of, you know, splitting hairs theologically about all kinds of things. But one thing that can never change is that the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation that everything hinges on Jesus Christ, the one who is, is the son of David and the son of God, who was born of, of the Virgin Mary and who was crucified and died and rose from the grave three days later. I mean, that's all of the foundation stuff. That's the cornerstone stuff. That's stuff we have to agree on. That's non-negotiable with us, that he's coming again. And then it talks about the structure, and this is a little bit more applied to us, about the structure, about everything that's connected together. There's the foundation, there's the chief's cornerstone, and then there's everything that's kind of built inside of that, the body of Christ, the structure. We are those pieces, if I can use 21st century, we're kind of the two-by-fours of all of that that's being put inside. And he talks about building a home, building a temple, building a house for God that has a strong foundation, a chief cornerstone in Christ, and that we realize that we're not just one two-by-four in the house, but that we're connected to all of the other ones as well. And that all of them are important. If I could refer to that structure as kind of being the bones... Paul, when he talks about his ministry in 1 Corinthians 3, talks about how we build, right? gold, silver, precious stones, or King James, wood, hay, and stubble. 
So let me challenge you that are, you know, just taking care of your own home right now. What are you using to build? Is it gold, silver, and precious stones, or is it wood, hay, and straw? It matters. It matters that we're, we're, we're strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It matters that we're taking care of ourselves. It matters that we're doing everything we can to build the best house for God possible. That to use another metaphor from, from the Gospels, that when the storms of life come and, and the rain comes down and the winds blow on the house, the house stands because it's built on the rock. It's got a solid foundation in Jesus Christ. What are you building on? Again, in this day and age, and I can't help it because it just comes my way, whether it's in Bible study or it's a small group discussion or something else. There's all kinds of Christians these days trying to build their house, in my opinion, on stuff that just doesn't matter. They're focusing on things that just don't matter. All of this harebrained internet, conspiracy, crazy stuff, pardon my bluntness again, you know, and, and have moved away from Jesus Christ and have moved away from the work of God and have moved away from evangelism and have moved away of understanding the importance because we're going to center on a couple of other things that in the big picture really don't add up to much. In my mind, I realize in other people's minds, these things are giants. But in my mind, and we move away from that, and to me that's building with wood, hay, and stubble. And people that are building with wood, hay, and stubble, I also notice this. When they feel that the rest of us aren't doctrinally tilted their way, what do they do? They pull away. Because they're afraid of contamination. They don't want to do church together. Because they tell themselves that our doctrine is faulty, or if we hold them accountable, they get upset with us. Say, hey, brother, sister, what about this? Maybe you should take, a, take, take another look at this or think about this. And, and what do they do? They, they wash their hands of us. That's not just happening here in Essex or in Windsor, but that's happening all over the place. You heard the expression, it's your body, what are you putting in it? You health food folks? You exercise people? It's his body. What are you putting in it? It's our body. What are you putting in it? It's the body of Christ for which you and I are a part. How are we adding to this body? Understanding again, right, that we just don't get to do whatever we want. The foundation is laid by the apostles and the prophets. The chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And we're building, but it's his body. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So we are parts of that body. But in reality, we're not the ones adding the two by fours to it or adding the nails or the screw nails to it. It's Jesus that's building his church. But we're, we're called to respond favorably. We should be doing all that we should be doing to make a great place for Jesus to live in. So this brings me back to the building program, right? We're going to be talking about putting a building together that is a great place to function out of, to do ministry out of. And, and there are good reasons for that, and we're hoping that we're going to share that with you. And we need to take care of this place. It's been a long time since anything significant has been done to it. And to be quite frank, it's getting too small for us in some areas. And those are big decisions. Those are weighty decisions. But I'd just like for you to think about your own house right now. Just you. How are you doing? How is your temple? What have you been building with? Have you been taking care of it? 
Are you connecting with others who are part of the body of Christ? Again, we'll talk about the point of all of this down the road. It isn't just about having a nice house. Have you, you've been in some nice houses, right? There are some people that have some nice houses. I, I, um, I mentioned my sister Karen. Uh, I have to be careful because she does listen to the podcast. So let me say this. Love you, Karen, and your house. Okay, good. So my sister Karen, regardless of where she's lived, and she, has, she had three kids. Like, they're all growing up now. She's got grandkids now. But we used to say this about my sister Karen. You could eat off her floor. Even when my sister Karen was raising her three daughters, I would visit. She lived about 25 minutes away, and I would visit sometimes. And when her husband was working night shift, when I was younger, I'd actually stay with her just to kind of, you know, to, to give her a little bit of company. And you could eat off her floor. Didn't matter if the kids were there or not there, you could eat off her floor. As soon as you walk in, pff, house is spotless. I don't ever remember anything being out of place in my sister Karen's house. And everything was dusted. She even had a cat. I don't know if you could find a cat here or not. Incredible, right? Pristine. So pretty, you almost didn't want to be there. She lives in Brantford now. If you go to the house, it's the same thing. Still got a cat. It's a new cat. But the place is absolutely pristine. And then you got some people's homes, right? Maybe this is your home. It like, looks lived in. All right? Looks lived in. My sister Bonnie and her husband were down to visit Kyle while he was in the hospital. And she came into our home on, uh, I don't know, let's, let's say Thursday night, I'll make it up. Thursday night, and she was visiting at her home, and we had the grandkids' toys at the side and at the back along our um, kind of countertop there. Some of you would know where that is, right? And she says to Karen, as only a sister-in-law can, like, do you keep them out all day long? <laughs> like, now you go to my sister Bonnie's house, and I don't care if she's listening to the podcast, and, and you walk in, and it looks like an adult house upstairs. Adult house. There's nothing out of place. Now, the grandkids downstairs, you go downstairs, a whole other area, but upstairs, it's clean as a whistle, Right? My point in all of this is, look, I realize that all of our houses are different, that we don't do faith the same way. Uh, my house might be considered a little messy compared to your house. I may have all of my toys in the right area in my house, and you may not. I understand there's differences in us. But folks, make sure you take care of your spiritual dwelling. Make sure you take care of yourself. In four weeks, we're going to talk about caring for this facility for the next little while. Again, a very important matter. But as your pastor, my greatest concern is how you doing. Simple as that. How you doing? How you doing in your house? How's your dwelling place doing? If there's something in the house that shouldn't be in the house, get it out of the house. If there's something that should be in the house that isn't in the house, Bible, prayer, worship, get it into the house. If you've fenced your house off because you don't want to rub shoulders with us because we're not quite everything you are, I would ask you to at least put a gate on your fence. And every once in a while, just let one of us walk in. Every once in a while, just, you know, knock yourself out. Be generous to other Christians' day. And let us walk in with you. And let us do fellowship with you. And realize that you don't need to do this on your own either. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.